Welcome to the New Zealand Tech Podcast, presented by Paul Spain and Anne Guests. Welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. We're at episode 190. I'm Paul Spain, and with me is... Uh, Sean Dring. Sean Dring, great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for coming along. No problems at all. Now, you're a bit of a technologist. Is that a fair way to describe you? Uh, yeah, I, I would describe myself as a, as a geek. Uh, all right. That's what I put on my uh, passport stuff, you know, when, when you leave the country. Okay. Uh, and that works? You haven't ever been uh, pinged and, um, you know, they've, no. they've misinterpreted that as, as something uh, evil? No, they just laugh. Okay. Oh, well, that, that's good. Well, uh, let's, uh, let, let's hop in. Um, uh, first up, quite an interesting uh, piece of, well, I don't know what, it's not exactly high-tech, uh, but uh, there's a US company that is offering a selfie toaster. Oh, yeah. How crazy is this? You can get your selfie um, not printed on a piece of bread, but mm. actually toasted onto the side of a piece of bread. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a pretty What is narcissi- the world coming to? It's pretty narcissistic, isn't it? I mean, it's, <laughs> it's out there. But the thing that I, I kind of worry about is those that poor old... Um, company that bought the grilled cheese sandwich that had the, the Virgin Mary on it. Oh, yes. Remember that? And they paid $28,000 for it. Anyone can grill whatever they want onto anything now. Yeah, exactly. You can do that. Well, it's kind of a bit of fun, though. It's good It's good that they're doing wacky things with uh, with technology, right? Yeah, well, I hope the guy you know, makes lots of money out of it, because... Um, yeah, apparently V two is going to be fantastic because it'll put it'll probably put butter and bread on uh, butter and uh, jam on for you as well. Yeah, well that'll be handy. Actually, no one's come up with a toaster that does that does that, and I think that would actually be a lot more practical. Sean, yeah. you could make some good money here if you can uh, produce that. Okay, I'll, I'll I'll get onto it. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Well, next episode, uh, I'd like a yeah, I'd like a slice um, peanut butter and jam. Yeah. Um, just to mix it up, since that's you know what the Americans would do. Yeah, I'll web enable it so you can actually basically get a get a meal before you before you start your drive home. Now, just heard last night that Microsoft in China have had four of their offices raided by police for an as yet unknown reason. What do you think that reason might be? Uh, I think, personally, I think that it's probably a negotiating tool. I think that um, because um, uh, Microsoft sold them XP, um, licenses for XP, basically a year before they uh, turned off the support for the product. And I think think they're probably just flexing their muscle and just making life a little bit uncomfortable for them about uh, before negotiating the new contract about basically support whatever version of Windows that they decide to run. But uh, they're not running eight. No, they've sort of set, they've banished Windows eight from uh, from the Chinese uh, government computers, haven't they? Yeah, which is very very interesting. So um, it, it, yeah, it'll be an interesting thing. But I, I personally think that it's just a play around licensing and um, and that kind of thing, just a negotiation strategy, negotiating tactics. Mm. All right. Now we have a little gadget here we've been looking at. This is you know, we often look at sort of all the all the new uh, the fancy new phones. And last week it was LG's G3. Um, I've now been using that for a few days. So before we get into this other one, I'll I'll talk a little bit about that. Um, Sean, you've had a look at the G3 as well. Mm. Um, quite a nice piece of kit with this you know the Quad HD screen. I was curious how that actually plays out. So having used that for a few days, it's actually really stunning to read mm. content on and to look at content on that extra definition 
and also the size, the 5.5-inch display. They work in really well together. But there were a couple of things that um, that surprised me. So, yeah, on the plus side, it is a, it is a really gorgeous screen. Uh, but on the flip side, two two issues I've had. Now, bear in mind that it is um, that we are ahead of the the launch in New Zealand, although I think it has launched in other markets now. Uh, so I would expect the software to be to be about right now. My impression was that the unit I've got has final software on there. So um, I'll recant this later if I find out that it that it didn't. Uh, but well, the main the main oddity I had today was I was heading out to a. Um, well, not to a rocket launch. Well, it sort of was a rocket launch, actually, so we'll fill in on that a little bit later. Um, but I was heading to this rocket launch. I needed Google Maps just to make sure that I got to exactly the right spot. And uh, Google Maps actually crashed on me a couple of times. Fortunately, I managed to keep my hands back on the wheel reasonably quickly, so I didn't crash. <laughs> but it was a crash whilst I was driving, nonetheless. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, two crashes on one journey, not good. Uh, so I had to flick across to a, to another device. And I, th- the only thing I can think of is this is partly related back to the screen resolution, and a lot of the apps are not maybe or haven't been heavily tested on the Quad HD resolution of the um, of LG's new G3 phone. To prove that point, some other apps I went looking for in the App Store weren't available. I couldn't see them, and I was wondering what was going on. So I went and found a direct link online to the app, and then it would take you back into Google's Play Store to, for the app, and it but it made it clear that that app not compatible with that handset okay is it is it like the old um situation where uh, multi-core processors came out and then the software wasn't actually aware of multi-core so a lot of the apps had to be rewritten again and recompiled for the multi-core stuff in in some ways i think there's some apps that are customized for specific screen resolutions and so if that resolution it hasn't been set up mm. and tested for it you know, just literally doesn't know what to uh, what to do. So uh, th- yeah, I think that's probably the, that's what's happened in this case. Okay, nasty. So um, that will pro- I mean that probably won't take too long to sort itself out. Uh, and yeah, you you imagine most uh, you know most developers that have spent a lot of money developing their apps will spend a little bit more time to get them working and, and accessible on the LG G3 phone because it's, um, it's a pretty cool phone. Mm, yes, nice. Yeah. So, um, but now the other one we've got, where is it, Sean? Oh, it's over here. Floating around here is the, um, the LG... Oh, it's not the LG. This is the HTC Desire 310. So uh, now the reason I wanted to talk about this and I got them to, uh, to flick one across... Is this is sort of that uh, that I guess um, lower price point of Android, but bringing in a re- a reasonable quality uh, handset. So this is launching, uh, I believe, from Skinny at uh, Skinny Mobile, two hundred and forty nine dollars, and it's got a quad core chip in it, so it's got a fair bit of power. It's not a not a super fast quad core, I think one point uh, one point two gigahertz uh, spec. But it's quite it's quite capable and a 4.5 inch screen. So, in in that sort of uh, arena, for those that aren't going to throw 500 or a thousand dollars at a smartphone, there aren't a whole lot of players in this space that produce a reasonable quality phone. And I mean, HTC tend to make tend to make pretty good phones. We've got their uh, HTC uh, One M8 over there, which is a gorgeous, stunning phone, but more than four times the price. And when you look at look at this, I think it makes a uh, makes a pretty good phone if Android's sort of your ecosystem. Sean, you use Android a lot. I think that's sort of your main uh, your main preference. Mm. 
what's your what's your sort of pick? Just having a having a quick flick around on on the handset. Do you think you yeah. know that's gonna that's gonna have a good market? Yeah, I mean it's fantastic. I mean it's a. Uh, uh, for the size of the, um, sorry, for the price of the device, you know, it's got a fairly good screen. It's nice and uh, active and everything, and you know, you press buttons and it all goes. So, yeah, it looks pretty. It looks uh, pretty nice. Yeah, it doesn't feel it doesn't feel too laggy or, or anything no. like that that we you know we have seen with some of those lower end Android phones um, in in the past. Now, one thing we did notice is it's running Android uh, Android four Two, so it's not on the not on the latest and greatest, mm. and that seems to be a hallmark of the the lower cost uh, Android devices, as they often are on a slightly older release of Android, and there's not always a guarantee that they're actually going to be updated to run to run the latest. So I think you you do have to be aware that you may be a little bit uh, you know stuck in terms of. Uh, yeah, future future options, and we've seen the same with a lot a lot of the lower cost uh, Android tablets are in the same sort of basis. Unless you're buying the the Nexus product from Google, which usually gets a um, you know a, a, a good um, good access to Android updates, then you can be quite um, quite stuck with that, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's definitely something you have to think about. Even with the, like the high end models and stuff like that, sometimes it'll only go up a couple of versions. So. Um, yeah, so if you're thinking about owning something for three or four years, you know, it's uh, and you're spending that kind of a lot of money, you know, it's always worth asking the question about the upgrade path and policies around it. Yeah, and I mean that's that's the area, you know, where I think we've probably, ch- I'm sure we've chatted about it on the podcast before around the Windows phones, uh, you know, that the version, you know, the ones that are running current version of Windows, Windows eight, Windows Phone eight or Windows Phone eight point one is starting to ship on phones now. You know, there's a re- generally a reasonably good upgrade path with uh, with those, and you should be able to get the latest version. There's a lot less of that, uh, you know, chance of getting getting stuck. So it probably is one of those things. If you know, for those that are sort of considering what platform to use, that's um, that's one of, one of those things that, as a user, you're just sort of stuck with, and it's a, a yeah a limitation or a benefit of the the platform either way. And I mean. What about iPhone users? There, uh, or those that would prefer to be on the Apple platform, they don't really have anything to uh, to compete in this sort of price range, do they? No, I think no. you know you can buy an iPod uh, iPod Touch. That's really the the alternative, isn't it? Which has has maybe a lot of the features, but uh, but no ability to make phone calls and um, you know mo- mobile data. So. Yeah. Uh, I guess that's you know that's where Apple are, are, are keeping themselves squarely in the area where there's uh, where there's plenty of margin, uh, but they're not competing in this space. Which you know I think over time we'll we'll see the um, you know sub three hundred dollar handset, and I mean it's already there now, uh, but become you know account for a very very large proportion of uh, cell phone you know, mm. purchases or smartphone purchases. In general, it wasn't that long ago that you couldn't get any smartphone for under three hundred dollars, and and now we're just getting more and more options, aren't we? Well, the, I think the really the next step is when um, when you talk about your bank or your insurance company developing apps for it. I think the next thing is that they'll start basically selling phones, you know, saying, "Oh, by the way, if you get this insurance policy, we'll have this app on on it. We'll basically record how you drive and." Um, and, uh, well, there's yeah, there's a bit of that going on, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, there's very much sort of uh, commodity type, uh, yeah, pricing now that we're uh, we, we we're tending to talk about, aren't we? Mm, definitely. 
Okay. Uh, now, just to so for those that might be interested in this, just a few little uh, you know of the, the the facts and figures around the um, the HTC Desire three ten. Uh, this is a, available, as I say, from uh, Skinny Mobile, 4.5-inch uh, screen. And the camera is a 5-megapixel fi- uh, uh, camera. And you can expand the, uh, the storage. It's got a little uh, micro SD slot in there. It does take a full-size SIM, doesn't it? Mm, yeah, Which is weird. quite unusual. You don't often see that. And obviously in some international markets, it's available in a dual SIM variant because you can see that there's uh, room there for another, uh, another SIM slot. And oh, the other thing was the processor. I think I said 1.2 gigahertz before. It's a 1.3 gigahertz uh, quad-core uh, processor. So yeah, that's sort of the um, the the quick uh, the quick highlights, and I think that's just uh, has just launched uh, today, so uh, available uh, available immediately. All right, so yep, that's enough uh, chit chat on the um, the latest this week in handsets to uh, to land in New Zealand. Um, now. Hotels and smartphones. Do these go together? Well, we've uh, we've just heard that Hilton hotels are the latest to uh, start offering a capability that will uh, will allow you to get into your room without a uh, without a hotel key. You will be able to use your smartphone uh, as effectively as your your key to. Uh, um, get into your room nice is that a good idea um yeah if, it, if it's done well i think it's a fantastic idea the only the only thing is is that the people who they're aiming it for are the are the weary travelers who get in on a late flight or whatever and just want to go straight to their room um if they don't do it well and that person goes up there and their phone doesn't work or they get pointed in the wrong the wrong direction for a, a room it's very hard to get any kind of traction after that goes wrong if you see what i mean so yeah um, yeah it could, could be a problem the nature of people is to, you know, is to, is to do whatever works. So, you know, they, they don't have too many um, chances to get it right. Yeah, they need need to make it smooth, don't they? They're talking, uh, they're talking about an app that will give you a range of capability as well, getting into your into your hotel room. Uh, the um, uh, the app will also let you do things such as choose your preferred room up front, uh, make special requests, check in and out, and so on. I mean, the sorts of things that we've seen. In, in other areas, and certainly we've got you know, booking apps for booking a hotel you know, right now. Those have been around for a long time. Uh, but by extending that out and giving a, a broader range of capabilities, maybe a little bit more like what some of the flight apps and so on do as well, uh, I mean, it just makes sense, doesn't it, to uh, um, free up their staff and to give you instant access to do these things that to, you know, generally it's information and and options that sit in a computer anyway, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you want to talk to a human being for the high-value stuff. You know, if something goes wrong or something you need to extend the service or do something like that, then then why not? The only the only thing that really kind of concerns me about that is that, um, you know, again, what does the app want in return? Is it recording you know, how you travel and, and all that kind of stuff? And are you staying at other hotels, for instance, if it's plugged into GPS and... Tracks your location and uh, works out where you are. Well, maybe they'll give you some special offers if they notice you're uh, 
you're looking from from a competing property. Yeah, oh, definitely. But uh, but also, it's it, it'll be interesting to see how that that information is is used. So, as usual, look at the uh, the terms and conditions for the application and see what it records. Yeah, fair point. They're talking about rolling it out at uh, four thousand Hilton and their various associated sort of uh, hotels. Uh, I think you know uh, stateside. So uh, they've got DoubleTree and Embassy suites up there as well. Uh, and uh, Starwood hotels already have a capability uh, in the US to um, uh, use your smartphone for uh, for opening rooms. So I guess this whole area will uh, you know will keep heating up, and there'll be there'll be more and more you can do. In the same way, I guess you can control a lot of aspects of your home with the you know with the right bits and pieces of of uh, software and the right gadgetry and turn lights on and off and mm. unlock doors and and uh, and so on. Uh, I, yeah, I can imagine this will just keep improving over over time, and you'll be able to look in on your maybe in the future look in on your hotel room and you know check that no one's busted in and stolen your passport yeah. or or what have you. Yeah. Um, sort of, yeah, it's 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 probably a good a good idea because yeah. there is a lot of uh, there there is a there's a fair bit of crime that's associated and uh with traveling isn't there there are often issues that people run into whether it, it, it's uh you know a traditional sort of uh crime or uh you know all those sort of travel scams that tend to uh tend to happen so a bit of technology may be able to help in the uh, in the mix yep. uh now another interesting uh gadget this one out of India is the concept of the smart shoe. I, lo- I love that. I think that's such a cool idea. So you you watched the video. You had a little bit of a look. What it, what What's your sort of take on, on this? How helpful is it, is it going to be? Well, I, I mean, if we think about it, and say, for instance, with Google Google Maps, where you're walking a down down a road. Now, now, you could have your phone in your pocket and your 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 left or right foot will basically vibrate depending on which way you're supposed to be able to turn. So you don't have to pull the phone out of your pocket. You don't have to do anything else. Um, you just basically keep on walking and you get this feedback. Well, that could be good even when you're driving, couldn't it? Yeah. yeah you, don't even, you, know, you can still be listening to your uh, music. You don't have to put your, uh, you know, your sound across to hear the directions. Yeah. You just get a little, uh, a little buzz, a little shoulder tap. Well, I mean, you'd have to uh, be wearing the uh, shoes on your shoulders for, <laughs> to get a shoulder tap. But, uh, you know, I'm just imagining taking a little bit further for them. But, yeah, your, your left foot buzzes, you know, you've got to, uh, you've got to spin, the, spin the steering wheel. But certainly you're out uh, running, cycling, etc. This is, um, it's, it's an interesting concept and I can't see why it wouldn't work. Well, exactly. I mean, why, why do you have to drag your phone out and look at the screen? You know, why, why bother with that? You know, you can just get the feedback you need to, to do whatever you need to do. So, you know, turn left. So how, how, far, how far could this go, this sort of uh, you know, technology where a, a sensor is kind of doing it? You know, I, I joked about it tapping you on the shoulder, but, I mean, seriously, you know, wearable you know, clothes and things like that, uh, you know, could, could you have a, a, a smart enough digital assistant in your pocket that then fires off different sort of sensors in the clothes that you're wearing to sort of shoulder tap you indicates... Hey, you've said the wrong thing there, Paul. Um, you might need to uh, retract that statement, or uh, um, another tap that tell, tells you something else, or a tightening of the uh, 
clothes on your arm to, uh, I don't know, communicate something else. What do you think? How far is this, all this stuff going to go? Well, what's your imagination? I mean, that's where it's going to go. But, I mean, for instance, Apple have already got patents for, like, was it haptic? Haptic feedback, which is what this is, isn't it? Where you get that, uh, you can, you know, you get that that um, feedback you can feel. Yeah, exactly. Isn't smart clothes and all that other kind of thing. So it'll probably be part of our life, um, yeah. But we, when we put down the screen, and we know Intel are putting a huge amount of, uh, you know, investment into into all these wearables as well. Mm-hmm. You know, from their perspective, they want to be part of whatever the you know future generations. Uh, yeah, come up with technology wise, they're shrinking their chips down and and trying to get people to come up with new ideas. So. Uh, yeah, as the as the technology shrinks, I guess it creates all sorts of possibilities. Yeah, some some may be better than others, but you think this is one that could uh, could fly, could work? Uh, yeah, I think it's it's great. I mean, yeah, the more feedback that you can have without actually having to, you know, again look at a screen or or um, if the information comes to you as opposed to you going to the information, then uh, yeah, it's a great way to do things. Yep, kind 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 of handy, kind of handy. Now the rocket launch I referred to earlier. It wasn't actually a rocket physically taking off that I got to see, but I did go to the um, Auckland HQ of uh, Rocket Lab and got to hear their their pitch. Uh, let's jump in and have have just have a little bit of a listen to uh, to one of the discussions that I had out there at uh, at Rocket Lab this morning. So I'm uh, I'm here at Rocket Lab in Auckland with the founder Peter Beck. Uh, nice to talk to you, Peter. Thanks very much. Now tell us, uh, we're, we're here looking at the uh, the Electron, um, stunning um, p- piece of uh, what do you call it? Engineering. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Yep, for sure. Engineering. Now, at, its, at its peak. Now tell us what it's all about and. Yeah, what's gone into designing the Electron? I mean, this is magnitudes of scale uh, bigger than the, the last rocket that was launched by Rocket Lab from Great Mercury. When was that? About two years ago? Yeah, yeah, it certainly is. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a much larger and much more complicated platform, um, but there's a lot of synergies about it also. There's a lot of technologies that are tra- directly transferred. So, I mean, um, briefly, uh, Electron is, is, a, is a new way to access space. So if you, if you think about it, if you want to commercialise space, and when I say commercialise space, put assets in orbit that actually do things for people. So sky television, for example, weather monitoring, uh, communications, um, all of those things that, that are really important. Earth observation, Google Maps. Um, in order to do those things, currently, it's huge investments. So it's massive investments. For example, if you want to go and purchase your own rocket to send your own satellite into orbit on your time frame and your timeline, it's around about $100 million. The Electron launch vehicle, we're going to do the same thing for $4.9 million, but with a small satellite. And the really exciting thing about small satellites is, is they're really grown in capability to the point they can be really commercial. The other aspect of, of the space equation is that um, you need you need responsiveness. Like at the moment, um, you know, 12 launches a year is about your lot. Um, so that you know, if you've only got 12 times a year to, to access space, that's pretty hard um, to put decent amount of satellites up there. Right, and I guess also uh, for the smaller satellites, you've got to work in with with you know, varying uh, schedules, and you might get you know bumped off from one to another, things like that. It's just not it's not that easy launching the smaller payloads, is it? It's, no, it's very difficult. So typically, the, the small payloads these days are launched on what's called rideshare. So there's a big payload, a prime payload, and you get strapped onto the side of it, and you go when they're going to go. They're going to go where they're going to go, and if they're a little bit overweight, then sorry, you're off. 
So, you know, you can't create a business on that. You can't be commercial like that. So, um, yeah, how are you managing to do this at a, at a low cost? What is, you know, what is it that's unique about uh, the Electron? Are there, are there other rockets that are in this sort of size category at the moment? Uh, yeah, is it to do with how you built it? Yeah, there's, well, there's a number of elements there. I guess um, the first element is this is a clean sheet design, so there's no heritage hardware in this whatsoever. So the first thing that we did is, is we went in and looked at the weather of the potential launch sites that we're going to launch from and then designed the rocket around the weather conditions so that we can launch it 95% of the time of the year. Um, you know, Traditionally, you might not do that. You would go and select some components off the shelf, put them together, have a rocket, but it only launches, say, 30% or less of the, of the year. But you can't be commercial on that. So that's one, one key, key difference. Also, um, you know, it's all built from carbon composites, so that's a, a huge advantage um, from a manufacturing perspective. And it's built for manufacture right from day one. We're building this thing so we can build large volumes. So that's that's really important. I mean, we can we can knock out a tank in, in a matter of weeks versus it would take you know months for, for traditionally to, to build this sort of stuff. And then I guess um, I guess. Finally, is New Zealand is the huge element here. Um, you know, we're a small island nation in the middle of the Pacific. Uh, we are the dream launch site. Um, we can do sun synchronous orbits. We can do out at 46 degrees. Um, there's no major air traffic. There's no major shipping. Um, yeah, there's nothing to hit until Chile. It's just fantastic. And how easy is it from a from an electronics perspective? I mean, we're, we're seeing smartphones and general technology sort of moving at a rapid pace. Gyroscopes and whatnot are just about anything. Um, yeah, how how uh, important are those pieces of technology to launching this and and making it possible? Absolutely, they're hugely important. And here's a fun fact: so the space shuttle has over seven tons of computers and wires in it. Electron's electronics, you know, the, the main uh, flight computer is 250 grams. So that, that indicates, you know, how far things have moved and the scale of things. So what is that flight computer? Can you tell us some of those, uh, you know, technicalities, what the platform is and, and so on? Sure, well, you're, you're talking to the wrong person there. But, I mean, that's the thing about Rocket Lab. We do everything in-house. So all the electronics, all the avionics, right down to board level, we do all in-house. Um, so, yeah. So you custom build everything to be an exact fit for what you need, you're not carrying any extra weight or somebody else's technology that isn't isn't right for what you need, you're just grabbing the right the right pieces and putting them together. Exactly, that, that is the ethos, that is clean sheet of paper everywhere, so you know, no heritage avionics for example, if we wanted to, to put a um, you know some heritage avionics out of traditional launch systems, they would weigh more than our payload, so you know this is not going to happen, um, you've got to start from scratch but there, there, I guess there must be varying off-the-shelf sort of you know pieces that you that you do use, but not from the not from the avionics field. Sure, I mean you know base level components from an electronics level. I mean we're not making chips here. Exactly. Um, but I mean if you look at if you look at you know what what's been developed in there, there's you know, there's IMUs for example have moved enormously, and you can get very small IMUs now. So um, yeah, I mean it's an IMU. Initial measurement unit. Okay, thank you. All right. So that's okay. So all of those, all of those uh, pieces come down. Now, tell us what else is there that is in this sort of size and scale globally? You know, what what would you say would be the closest uh, thing out there to uh, to the electron? Uh, well, there's nothing really that close. I mean, I guess the closest is the program that Virgin Galactic are looking at doing with their Launcher One. Um, and they're trying to address the, the range issue by air launching. Of course, that brings a whole lot of other issues along with it. Um, it's kind of nice to stand on the ground and do it all on the ground. It's a bit easier. Um, 
But uh, really, you know, there's, there's a number of companies in the US, um, especially, that are, are really trying to go after this. And look, we're in a space race. We absolutely are. So we've got to be first. And what are your what are your longer term ambitions? I understand the electrons due to launch uh, from a from a New Zealand space port yet to be confirmed where uh, in 2015. What next after that? Well, I think if we can if we can hit the control alt delete on the space industry and start getting you know one launch a week, uh, that's quite enough. So don't really see too much beyond that, except um, it's exciting times for all of us. One launch a week, so um, that, that's a fair bit of uh, that's a fair bit of revenue. If we sort of calculate out, we're talking quarter of a billion uh, there in revenue for a, uh, what's your the size of your team at the moment? Well, the size of the team at the moment, we're like uh, we're, we're 25 guys. But if you go to a website, you'll see there's about 30 jobs or more posted. So um, you know, we we desperately need engineers um, and scientists at the top of their game. So you're really wanting to establish New Zealand as a as a key player in the space race globally. Sure, I mean we should be we should be um, fair about this. We are we are a US company. We operate in, in the United in, in New Zealand, um, but New Zealand is a fantastic place to, to to launch from. And over time, you know, there might be some manufacturing up in the US because the economies of scale are going to get so large that it's going to be get difficult to do that in New Zealand. But um, certainly, you know, from a launch perspective, this is this is a place for us. So you're saying you're a US company. So what, how does that break down? In terms of your ownership, sure. So, I mean, we're backed by US venture capital, um, Coastal Ventures, um, and uh, all our customers are United States based, um, and we're, we're creating, you know, huge values. So, um, it just makes sense for us to be a, a US entity. Also, from the international launch licensing perspectives, um, you know, New Zealand doesn't have any of that, so it's great to be a, a US company. Right. Is there what sort of level of ownership is you know is New Zealand based? Well, New Zealand, New Zealand is a wholly owned subsidiary of the US, the US company. So kind of like Fisher and Paykel, that's the same analogy. So can you reveal anything about the, the shareholding of the company? Oh no, that's uh, that's certainly not public uh, public information. But uh, okay, no, this was very exciting, and uh, we certainly wish you wish you the uh, the best with with the launch. What when do you think in 2015 that's uh, yeah that that's that's likely to happen. Uh, well, we don't, we don't want to nail down a date too much. I mean, there's there's uh, there's a lot of things we need to get done, but um, you know, keep, keep posted because it's going to be some uh, some more significant um, announcement shortly as we as we knock off those things. Yep. And quickly, uh, if we're talking about 50 launches a year, um, that means manufacturing 50 effectively 50 electrons a year, or are there parts that you would uh, be anticipating would be reused. Uh, we'll, we'll definitely try and re- re- reuse what we can. I mean, that, that would be silly not to. Um, but yeah, if yeah, 50, 50 rockets a year would be would be great, and we will change the world if that's that's occurred. Excellent. All right. Thank you, Peter. Cheers. Thanks. Right, so some pretty fascinating uh, stuff there from uh, from the guys at uh, Rocket Lab. What sort of surprised me? I just wasn't expecting something on this sort of scale and this sort of importance. Uh, today, because what we saw from Rocket Lab in the past was they, you know, they did that that launch of a yeah, what looked like uh, looked like a sort of a toy rocket. Mm. Really, it it, uh, it, it wasn't something where uh, you you were thinking of you know, huge commercial opportunities around and so on. But uh, I mean, this is a, this is on a on a scale that's something else. I mean, the rocket that I saw today. Uh, 18 metres in length, uh, 1 metre diameter, uh, capable of a top speed of 27,500 kilometres per hour. Um, Engine thrust 14.8 tonnes, 
uh, engine equivalent power of 530,000 horsepower uh, and able to take up uh, something in the range of 110 uh, kilogram uh, payload uh, up into uh, suborbital uh, space. So yeah, pretty uh, pretty impressive. Um, uh, ten uh, ten thousand five hundred uh, kilo sort of liftoff mass, and uh, the propellant component of that nine thousand two hundred kilos. So some, I mean, some pretty impressive numbers. Yeah, yeah. and quite you know quite a u quite a unique product in terms of what's uh, what's out there. Uh, you know, globally, this is really uh, really something that's that's unique at the moment. Well, you, you've actually seen this thing firsthand. So the, my my first question really is, um, can you fit in it? Well, actually, interesting you should you should ask because uh, it, it was one of my thoughts, and I did have some discussion with some of the guys around the future potential, and I think there there is all sorts of potential, probably longer term, from what Rocket Lab you know, c- could do in the could do in the future. Mm-hmm. No doubt there is going to be continual competition in the various areas, but hey, now New Zealand is in. Uh, is in this field, and uh, you know we're we're joining the um, you know the race to innovate. Then uh, you know, hey, anyth- anything's possible. But um, so I mean, like if it's 110 kgs, I, I weigh 80, and if I take a packed lunch and a uh, you, par- wouldn't, a you wouldn't see much though. Well, no, we'd have to have a window, obviously. I mean, that, that's a, I mean, it's you know, you, don't, you want to actually see where. You, is there such a thing on. as a carbon fibre window? I'm not sure if they've invented one, so you might have to invent that first so you could see out. Okay, well, we could see, yeah. Okay, we'll just cut a hole in it, it'll be all right. But, I mean, this, this is great use of, of the carbon fibre, uh, yeah, technology, isn't it? The oh. carbon fibre composites to be able to, uh, you know, put this together, uh, to, you know, to be able to, the, the production of these much, much quicker than the, the larger, uh, you know, rockets that are more common uh, today mm. that tend to be uh, at that sixty metre sort of length, so you're talking over over three times as you know as long and taking much bigger payloads. Well, the the interesting thing is if uh, with New Zealand, of course, we're actually really really well known for what we can do with carbon fibre. So I mean, obviously, we've got all the boat builders and what they've done with the America's Cup stuff, and we're world class with that. But also, when we look at things like the Britain motorcycle, like the the company Britain now actually is all about research for for carbon fiber and and uh and uh basically yeah just um uh, metallurgy and stuff like that so um yeah we're we're actually pretty in, in a pretty good uh, space <laughs> no pun intended oh no puns are <laughs> yeah, good yeah. um yeah so i mean but yeah and i'm i'm pretty pretty impressed with the sort of leadership that peter beck's you know Shown in this space, the company's only been going seven years, mm. and uh, you know here they are, um, you know making making um, you know what's a, what's an announcement that uh, from what some of the people I spoke to today uh, said this is really going to stir you know stir things up amongst uh, you know amongst companies in this area uh, around the world, and it's uh, it's you know it's exciting to see. Well, it's the other interesting thing is that like. If you just have a quick look around at what's going on in that in the in the, the general space program and the commercialisation of it, there's a there's a company called Clyde Space and they basically make these um, cubes, and in effect, and it's it, they build them in a similar way to what you think of as like a server. You know how you have many you can have many racks inside the server, right? And you can slot in particular loads. Very components to do certain things. Yeah. yeah. So these guys are building these, but in effect, they're just satellites. So you have these cube satellites in effect, and you can, you know, theoretically, on if you can take 110 kgs 
of load, you could probably get, you know, eight or nine of these cubes inside a single payload. Okay, so they're pretty small and light. Yeah. 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 Okay. And, and, and again, they're built out of carbon fibre. They're built out of, you know, the electronics of today as opposed to, you know, 1980s and stuff like that. So, Well, that's a key, isn't it, to bringing the cost down and to, and to speeding up the manufacture, all those sorts of things. We've got to be using, uh, you know, more standard and, and, and current elements rather than mm-hmm. those... Uh, yeah, pieces that have been around for for a long time. Now, one of the other bits that uh, is, is, I guess, a key part of this picture for them is that they've got that right sort of funding and so on. Mm. And the company that's uh, behind them, uh, Costler Ventures, out of uh, out of the Silic- Silicon Valley area uh, around San Francisco there, uh, they apparently have um, around $3 billion, uh, you know, tied up in various investments over about 100 companies. And uh, one of the uh, one of their uh, recent, uh, well, not acquisitions actually, um, recent sales was a was a company uh, called Skybox that we spoke on the podcast about a, f- a few weeks ago. And this company, uh, Skybox, was was all around, uh, you know, putting up these smaller satellites into, into space and uh, and and doing imaging, so you can get uh, those, you know, almost real time, uh, you know, type. Uh, yeah, data capture. So we could have one flying over the top right now, and you know, would show exactly what was happening in Auckland at this at this moment in time, down to a you know into a pretty detailed uh, view. Uh, but Skybox was just bought by uh, by by Google. That was just announced in the last few weeks. Mm-hmm. So you know, it, it tends to indicate that the investor that they've got on board um, sort of you know knows a little bit about their stuff, certainly in around space and uh, around a good investment. So. Uh, who knows who could end up uh, owning Rocket Lab in the future? Yeah, definitely. So Google or Gates or who who knows who? Uh, but uh, yeah, I think uh, some pretty exciting stuff. Now, how does this bode for the you know future of of New Zealand? Is this something that's going to really uh, you know spur on New Zealand science and 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 tech? You know, my thought is that. Uh, yeah, kids going through school today are going to are going to see this stuff and and get excited about it, and we you know it's going to just help uh, you know push that whole uh, space aerospace uh, industry in New Zealand, and uh, you know there, there's going to be that um, that groundswell of interest. I would tend to think. Oh yeah, and I mean it is a massive uh, area of competition. So for instance, I think one of the biggest um, uh, space programs out there. Is actually India as well. They're doing a lot of work and doing a lot of developments as well. Uh, they've got their own launch platform that they're that they're working on, and they're well down the 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 the, uh, the path of, of having it tested and and, and uh, released. But again, you've got millions of people there, of course, who can and a lot of clever people out there, of Absolutely. course, who can who can yeah. uh, create some great stuff as well. So. Um, yeah, it's it's fascinating what 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 we're going to be able to do. And if you look at New Zealand and the boat building industry and how well we thought of there, you know, and I think you know I have an interest in motorcycling and the amount of interest um, that the Britain motorcycle created. Um, if this rocket really is that much further ahead and there's patents in there that you know basically provide a lot of value to the company. The country and company, then there's no real reason why we couldn't be seen as leaders there. Yeah, it's quite exciting. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing a um a rocket launch. I think this uh, this would be really cool. Yeah, I'll be I'll be looking forward to it, but I'll be standing a, a, quite a ways away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why is that? Definitely. 
<laughs> you value your uh, life, do you, Sean? Yeah, have you actually like seen an uh, 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 space launch? Space, well, generally they're done for you. It's true. You need to stand a um, yeah more 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 than just a few meters away, don't yeah, you? It's, it's uh, often a few a good few kilometers away yep. uh, for the impact and the sort of the heat that's generated. And, and I guess looking at looking at those numbers, uh, the propellant mass uh, nine thousand two hundred kilograms of uh, of rocket fuel. So um, yeah, that's a um, that, that's a, that's a fair amount, and uh, yeah, to get these to get this thing off the uh, yeah off the ground at that uh, yeah ten point five uh, tons, that's um, yeah, that, I mean, that's kind of huge. To give an example, when was the last time you saw a rocket with a muffler? Yeah, good point. Yeah, it's noisy. It's very very noisy. Yeah, yeah. Um, cool. Well, this is this is exciting stuff, uh, and yeah, very very uh, pleased to have uh, to been invited to that today. And actually, I was surprised how few people there were, other than you know lots of TV cameras and so on. Um, there wasn't sort of a huge uh, you know media conglomerate there, uh, but to actually uh, to to see to see it in person uh, was was pretty cool. So I'm certainly looking forward to uh, their their upcoming launch in uh, in 2015. And uh, all I can do is hope that uh, where they decide to set up their spaceport isn't uh, isn't too far away, so it's reasonably easy to get to. But if all goes according to plan, that I mean, they're talking there is the potential for them to be uh, uh, launching up to you know maybe fifty of these a year, one one a, one a week sort of thing. Uh, apparently, they've signed uh, uh, or, or they've got thirty uh, launch payloads lined up as well. Uh, so once once they're underway, there's a there's a whole bunch of people that are uh, that are that are keen to uh, that are keen to get going and to uh, utilise them. Yeah, I mean, I I think that realistically, to do it with style, they should be launched out of volcanoes. If you look at any James Bond film where they've actually got a satellite going up, right, it always comes out of a volcano, some island in the middle of the Pacific, which we happen to be. Well, actually, yeah. So Rang- Rangitoto would be uh, would be perfect, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah that would that would look just. We've that would Mount be Eden, that would be awesome. Ru- Ruapehu for those really really big jobs, you know we've got uh, you know we've got we've got uh, certainly enough volcanoes to have more than enough launch pads for some rockets. All right, well uh, I'll have that on my uh, my next discussion uh, with Peter. We'll be uh, talking about how we can get some sort of a uh, a launch out of uh, yeah. Just thinking about it, I mean we're talking about the noise of these things. Uh, there's a, a, a volcano cone is a perfect way of deflecting the noise. Excellent. Well, there's uh, two two budding scientists here. Uh, so um, yeah, we have a we have a message uh, for Rocket Lab. Is that uh, yeah we have chosen your launch location. And the fact that we've done it just proves that it's not really rocket science, is it? <laughs> I've been trying to say that all day. <laughs> oh mate, mate. Yeah. Well, rocket science is obviously easier than we thought, right? <laughs> yeah. So very cool, very cool. Well, hey, thanks everyone for listening, and that sort of uh, brings us to the end of this d- discussion. Uh, but thank you for joining us. We'll be back again uh, next week with another episode of the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Now, a couple of little uh, public announcements. We have uh, the New Zealand Entertainment Podcast uh, that's available for download as well at globalvoicemedia.com. Uh, also at Global Voice Media, uh, you can find the slightly correct political show which has just been bumped up uh, as we come towards the election uh, to being more regular. So uh, we're probably expecting to have uh, an episode of that per week coming online. So uh, so plenty of entertaining and insightful political discussion from the, uh, from the guys on, uh, on that one, which is uh, Chris 
Brain, uh, Pat Brittenden and uh, Jeremy Allwood, and there'll be a bunch of guests also coming up, uh, various politicians and so on over the uh, over the weeks ahead. So uh, yeah, hopefully that will uh, will help keep you entertained as well. But that's it for us. Um, you can find us online at nztechpodcast.com. Uh, also uh, NZ Tech Podcast on on Twitter and across some of the other social networks too. Uh, so yeah, thanks everyone. Catch you on the next episode. See ya.